Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. How is everyone doing this morning? That's good. I, I too cannot believe it's November already. I remember when this year started and I had a baby last year, so um, it just felt like somebody pressed the fast forward button since she was born and then this year just flew by. And I'm having another one and I'm concerned now that it's just gonna go faster and faster. I don't know how, how that's gonna work for me, but um, I'm really excited to be here. My name is Joe. for anybody that is new here. I am um, a pastor here at Canvas Church and um, I'm really excited for the opportunity to speak with you today. Pastor Ben is currently in Calgary, Canada, and he is with a church plant that we actually helped plant. Your finances, your tithes, and your offerings um, helped plant this church in Calgary, and they are celebrating their first year. So Pastor Ben got invited to go there and just celebrate with them. Yeah, that is a reason to clap. People are getting saved all over and your finances are impacting the kingdom, not only in the States, but in Canada and in different places. So that's really exciting. And Pastor Katie, his wife is in um, Washington State with her family. Um, their, uh, her mother, her grandma, I was gonna say her mother-in-law, her grandma uh, passed away this week, but we are grateful that she's in heaven and she was able to receive Christ before she passed away. So she's with her family up there. And so, um, so I'm here today. <laughs> it's good. Um, and I'm gonna, when Pastor Ben asked me to talk to you, I started praying. And he asked me a, a, a few weeks ago, a little bit ago. And um, I started praying and I, I started asking God, God, what is it that you want me to, to say? Because the Refilled series was over. And then our next series, which is Carol's, hasn't started yet. So he said, you know what? You get to preach about whatever you want, which is really exciting, but really nerve-wracking because you want to make sure you know, you're preaching about something that God wants you to preach. So I was praying, and at the time, my husband and I were reading uh, in our Bible reading plan through the minor prophets, and um, they just so happened to be one of my favorite, but they are weird. So I was like, I don't know if I want to preach about that, but God kept bringing this book of Habakkuk over and over and over again in my life. So I thought, okay, you want me to preach about Habakkuk? I don't even know if I'm saying his name correctly, but I'm going to go ahead and do that. Um, So today we're going to preach about, uh, we're going to hear about Habakkuk. He is a very short book, and you guys can start going in your Bibles there, so when we start reading, you're there. But um, it's a very short book in the Old Testament. It's just three chapters, and Habakkuk happens, and it's written during a time where um, Jerusalem was being taken over by the Babylonians. Uh, In the book, it says the Chaldeans, which are the same people. So it was a very dark time in in the life of Jerusalem. It was a very dark time in the life of Israel. Um, and people were hurting. So they hadn't been taken over completely, but this, this process was already happening, and it was just a painful time for the people of Israel. And Habakkuk is a prophet that hears from God, and um, God just speaks to him. So we're going to go ahead and read Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4 first. And it says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will, he- and you will not hear? or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And Habakkuk starts this book with a complaint. And I love that, because 
I'm sure I'm the only one here, but I complain to God too, right? And I have those times where I say, how long are you gonna let this happen? How long are you gonna sit here and look at what is happening in my life and look at what is happening in the life of those that I love and those that are around me and not do anything? How long, God? And I don't know where we got in, in the Christian world this idea that we couldn't have those honest conversations with God. I don't know where we got that because in the Bible, they are there over and over again. Many, many people in the Bible have these honest conversations and Habakkuk is saying, where, where are you? There is violence happening. Your people are hurting. How long are you going to let this happen? And the fun part of that is that in Habakkuk 1.5, God answers. And he says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And if you stop right there, and people quote this verse quite a bit. If you stop right there, you think, wow, he's about to do something amazing. And sometimes God speaks to us and he says, oh, don't worry, I'm about to do something in your life that's gonna be amazing and you wouldn't believe it if I told you. And we think, okay, so if we're single, we think he's gonna bring me like the second Jesus to Mary. It's gonna be incredible. <laughs> or if we have financial trouble, we think, oh, I'm gonna be the next Bill Gates. This is gonna be amazing. Because if, if he told me, I wouldn't believe it. Because we always think and we always confuse that God's answer is, is immediately a an earthly blessing. We always think that when God speaks, it's an earthly blessing on us. And we forget that he's more concerned about our character than blessing us. He was more concerned about the character of the Israelites at the time than he was with blessing them. He was more concerned that their hearts were so far away from him than he was with bringing blessings and things upon them. So I'm sure that Habakkuk got really excited at that point. And he says, okay, you're going to do something amazing. Tell me more about it. And if you keep reading in chapter one, God says, I'm raising up this nation, this violent nation, and they are gonna come and destroy you. And I don't know if you've ever had those moments where God answers a prayer and you're like, nope, not what I meant. That's not what I wanted. Um, that's not what I wanted. And I'm sure that Habakkuk sat there and thought, um, what are you? talking about and he says it later on in chapter one he he has a second complaint and he does something that we do too and he says aren't you the holy one aren't you the god from everlasting and he says to god i i don't think you remember who you are you made us a promise you can't kill us he reminds god of the promise he reminds God of the promise. And the great thing about this is that when God answers, he answers Habakkuk with, an he answers Habakkuk with revelation, not with an explanation. See, God doesn't owe us any explanations. And we keep sitting here waiting, well, are you gonna explain yourself to me? And he says, no, but I can give you a revelation. I can give you a revelation. Have you ever heard that thing that says that God doesn't give you more than you can handle? Yeah, yeah that's crap. Um, he does. <laughs> He absolutely does. Um, I'm sure that all of you have been in places where you stop and you say, I can't handle this. This is definitely more than, than, I, than me in my humanity can handle. If God only gave us things that we can handle, where is faith in that? Where is trusting him in that? He gives us way more than we can handle so that we can say, I can't do this, so you have to do it with me. You have to do it through me. You have to stand and take every step with me because I'm absolutely unable to do it. 
what he gives us in small doses is revelation of him. Because if he gave us the whole story, if he showed us all of who he is and all of the plans that he has for us and everything that he wants to do in or through our lives, we would probably run away. So he, give us lim he gives us limited revelation. And we see that in the Bible over and over again. In Genesis, we see that Joseph, um, God gives him a dream and he says, Joseph, your brothers and your parents are going to bow down to you. And he thinks, that's awesome. And he goes and tells everyone, oh, guys, you're going to bow down to me. I'm going to be that great guy that stands, and you guys are going to bow down. Well, he failed to recognize is that God just gave him a little bit of revelation. He didn't show him the whole process, because if he would have showed him the whole process that involved going to jail, that involved being a slave, that involved being um, lied about, that involved serving for years, if he showed him the whole process, Joseph probably would have run away. So for some of us, God gives us limited revelation, and he shows us just a little bit at a time. And he tells you, I'm going to do amazing things in you and through you, but the process is going to require for your character to get there too. I'm not, he's not too concerned about your house or your, he loves you, he wants to bless you, hear me here. But he's not so, he's not so concerned about that as much as he is about getting your heart in the right place. So some of us are in places where we think, this is not fun. I don't like these. And the first thing we do is God, blame God's character and say, if you were a good God, you wouldn't do this, certainly. And he says, because I am a good God, I'm letting you go through it. Because I love you so much that I want your heart to be in the right place. Because I love you so much that I want your character molded. I'm letting you go through it. I'm letting you go through it. And there is a big difference between um, doubt and unbelief. Doubt runs to God. And if we read chapter 2, 1, um, chapter 2, 1 says, I, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer, what I will answer concerning, concerning my complaint. So he tells him, this is not your character. You shouldn't be doing this, God. And as soon as he says that, before God answers, he says, I'm going to move to my watch post and wait for an answer from him. Because the difference between doubt and unbelief is that doubt says, I'm going to move and I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand it. I don't think you're in this. I don't think you hear me. I don't think you care. But I'm going to wait for you to answer because I believe that you're still God. And believe says, you're not here. I'm going to take this on my own hands. I'm going to fix it myself. Doubt comes from a broken heart and a troubled mind. And belief is an act of the will. It's okay for us to doubt. And some of you probably have found yourselves doubting different gifts that God has given you, doubting different things that God has done in your life and have felt bad that you're even doubting. And I'm here to tell you today, it's okay to doubt because doubt brings you closer to God. Doubt brings you to a place where you say, I need you to speak. I need you to speak. My husband and I had quite a rough summer. Uh, we didn't, there wasn't any sin. He didn't sin against me. I didn't sin against him. Uh, small little sin, you know, like he gave me a budget for Starbucks and things like that, but nothing major. <laughs> um, nothing major, but it was just a rough summer. A summer where we were just questioning if we were doing the right thing, questioning if we were even called to ministry, questioning if, 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 we, 
if we were in the right spot. And I remember questioning everything, really. And I remember waking up one day at 3 in the morning because my babies decided to wake me up at 3 in the morning inside of me. And um, I couldn't go back to sleep. And I sat there, and I was looking at my husband. And I kept thinking, did I miss it? Did I, did I not hear you when you told me he was my husband? Because maybe all this doubt and all these, how hard this has become, maybe it's because I married the wrong one. And I know that Christian wives don't say that, right? But I did. I sat there in bed. I looked at him and I, I said, maybe he's not the one. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I'm not supposed to be here. Maybe I should go back to my country. Maybe this has been just a waste of time. And, and maybe, maybe I'm completely wrong. And I was crying to God and saying, if, if this is your will, would you remind me? If this is your will, would you, would you be here with me? Would you make it clear again? Even though he had, um, I really deeply felt like I was wrong, like I had missed it. And um, I don't remember when that was, let's say Thursday night, and then that Sunday we had First Sunday. And I came to First Sunday, and uh, it was a great time, and we were all worshiping, and, and my husband came up to the altar, and he raised his hand, and he was bowling, and I knew God was speaking to him. And I was sitting in the back, like behind my husband, and I just said, Lord, I know you speak to him. I know you do, and you do clearly, but I need you to speak to me today. I need you to tell me that I'm not wrong. I need you to tell me that I'm not crazy. I need you to tell me that I didn't marry this crazy white man that I wasn't supposed to marry. <laughs> I need you to tell me that I am in the right spot. I need to know this. And Pastor Ben gave words to so many people that night, and everybody got prayed over, and people were giving words to other people. I had words for people. And then first Sunday was over, and I got nothing. And I sat down in my chair, and I thought, done. I'm going to talk to my husband tonight, and I'm going to tell him that I think that I'm not called to doing what I'm doing right now, and that uh, we should consider me moving back to Colombia. Um, and tomorrow I'm going to talk to Pastor Ben and Katie. And by the way, you guys, Pastor Ben and Katie, know about all of these. They were part of the process. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we're going to talk to them and just say, I, I'm done. And I was sitting there just troubled in my heart and thinking God missed, like God missed it with me. I'm not supposed to be a pastor. I'm not supposed to be in ministry. I'm not supposed to be married to this wonderful man. I, I missed it. I missed it. And my heart was aching. And I was really troubled. And then this person from the church, whom I wasn't expecting to come up, came up to me. And he said, Joe, the other day you spoke, and what you said changed my life forever. And his words were simple, but what he said was God speaking to me and saying, I'm using you. I know what I'm doing. I'm here for you. I'm tr trust me. I would never, I, I almost audibly heard God say, I would never let you do things that I haven't called you to do. I am your father. I wouldn't let you marry a man that wasn't yours to marry. You've been walking in my will. I wouldn't let you. And just for those simple words that this person spoke to me, not even knowing that I was craving a word from God, he wasn't, my circumstances didn't change. Nothing changed. But these simple words gave me peace suddenly. And for the first time in that summer, I looked at my husband and I felt butterflies in my stomach again. And I remembered the promises. And I remembered what God had told me. 
And I remembered. And little by little, God started reminding us both. Because Caleb was in the same place. I wasn't alone doing this. He started reminding us both of the promises. He started reminding us both of what he has called us to do. And then he reminded us that he's more concerned about our character, that he allows for this heaviness and these things to happen. It was a really weird, emotional, like we were both pregnant or something with lots of hormones. <laughs> it was strange. I was really pregnant. But it was this very heavy, emotional thing that we just couldn't explain. And God said, I am allowing it because I'm doing something in you. I'm confirming in you something that is already there. I'm doing something. I'm doing something. And you need to trust me. You need to trust me. So Habakkuk says, I'm going to go to the watch post. Because he has doubt. He doesn't have unbelief. He doesn't walk away from God. And he says, I'm going to go to the watch post. And notice that he moves from the valley, from the darkness, from where all the people are. I'm not supposed to leave this rug, by the way. From, please yell when I do that. <laughs> he, so he, he goes from the, the darkest place, the bottom, where, where everywhere he looks, if he turns, there is pain, there is just violence, there is things that just don't work. And he says, I'm going to move up to the watch post. And it is in moving up that he gets the answer that he's looking for. It is in moving up and setting his eyes on God and saying, I'm going to wait for your answer. See, some of us are going through hard times. Some of us are going through dark moments. And maybe it's not huge and you think that because it's not huge, then you're silly. But no, God cares about the little things too. He cares about the big things and the little things. And today he's saying, you have to move from this valley, from this dark place where everywhere you look, it's just bad. And start climbing up a mountain, like the song said and start looking for my answer up in the watch post. Because when you climb up, when you look around, what you see is glory. You stop seeing what's going on down here and your eyes are now set in his glory. And that is what it says in verse 214. It says, the earth will be filled with my glory like the waters are filled, like the seas are filled with my water. God tells Habakkuk, I know what's going on, man. I know you're troubled. I'm still bringing the Chaldeans. <laughs> they are still bringing destruction. But trust me. But trust me. And the question, God is really funny because every time people question God, God answers with a question back. And the question he gives him back is, do you trust me, Habakkuk? Because we can only love somebody so much as much as we trust him. We can only love God as much as we trust him. And what God is asking you today in whatever circumstance you're living is, do you trust me? I know how your circumstances look like. I know what you're going through. I know how much it hurts. I know the pain. I'm walking it out with you too. But do you trust me? That's really the question that God has for you today. And then we go to verse, I'm sorry, chapter 3. I'm going to just jump all the thing about the Chaldeans are bad and they are going to be destroyed, da 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 um, and in chapter 3, Habakkuk writes a beautiful song. And we know that this song is a song that God gave him. And that's why it's in the Bible. Because any song written in darkness, it's not a song that comes from man. It is when he moves from the valley to the watchtower. It is when he moves and stops looking at the circumstances and starts setting his eyes on God that his worrying turns into worship. 
And it is in that moment when we start looking at what is happening right here and we say, I'm going to go up and I'm going to wait for your answer and I'm going to pray to you and I'm going to wait for you to speak to me, that he turns the worrying into worshiping. Like I said, his circumstances didn't change. Chaldeans were still coming. They were still going to be destroyed. Chances were that some of the people that Habakkuk loved, some of his family, were going to die. If not by starvation, by the sword. But he's able to write a song of worship to God. And verses 17 through 19 say, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the, produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will, make, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me thread on my high places. Again, his circumstances hadn't changed. Yet he's able to write, even if we never eat again. Even if the tree never blossoms again, and we don't see another fig, even if the stalls stay empty with no animals, even if everything looks bad, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And what happened was that he started living by revelation and not by explanation. Because revelation tells Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I gave you a promise. I told you the Messiah was going to come. And I told you the Messiah was going to come from the line of Israel. Whether you see him or not, are you believing my word? Because when we live by revelation, we understand that God has called us to heaven. That the promise is heaven. That the promise is that we get to spend eternity in heaven with him. The promise has nothing to do with whether we are blessed here today, right now, whether our heart is always fine, whether we always feel joyful and happy, whether we have the best husband in the world or the best house or the best kids. That's not the promise. Those are consequences of being obedient to God. That not always happen, actually. But the promise is eternity in heaven. In one of my wake-ups at 3 in the morning, I like to open Pinterest and read the history tab. Whatever, don't judge me. So, <laughs> so I read history, right? I like history, the history tab. The other tabs are like, your house should look like these. I'm like, my house looks nothing like that. Um, so I read the history tab. And when I was reading the history tab, one of the things said that the earth is 4.5 billion years old. So that's what evolutionists believe and, believe. and whether you believe evolution or you believe whatever you want, the earth is old, right? Just old. And we think that the three weeks here on earth that we spent in hell are the worst thing that could happen to us. Forgetting that these three weeks have nothing to do with eternity in heaven. That whatever we do in these three weeks, however we respond in these three weeks, will affect heaven for eternity. When we start living by revelation and not by explanation, God sets our eyes on heaven. And he says, I know this is hard, man, but boy, do I have a house for you in heaven. Do I have a blessing for you in heaven? He reminds us that this is about eternity. This isn't about today. However we feel today is irrelevant if we are following the Lord, if we are following the King of Kings, because heaven is our promise. If we are able to set our eyes on heaven, circumstances look a little different. Um, 
I love this book, and this book is quoted in three different books in the, old, in the New Testament, in Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. And the book is really about faith. Because he started living by faith and not by sight. He started living believing that the promises that God had given him were going to come to pass. Whether it didn't look like it, he was walking knowing that they were going to come to pass. And faith is really not believing in spite of evidence, because that's what we think. I'm going to believe even though I don't, I don't see it. Faith is obeying in spite of consequence. Habakkuk says, I want to worship you in the midst of these people destroying us. I'm going to worship you even though it looks pretty bad. But I'm going to worship you because I know who you are. I'm going to worship you because you've revealed your character to me. I'm going to worship you because you are, at the end of the day, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm going to worship you because you have shown me the kind of God that you are, the Alpha and the Omega. I'm going to worship you because whatever my circumstances are, whatever three years, five years, three months, two weeks look like here right now, is irrelevant in the scope of eternity. And please hear me. I'm not saying that your circumstances are not painful. I'm not saying that at all. I understand painful circumstances. I understand them. What I'm saying is that we're able to rejoice God in the midst of those circumstances because we believe in the promise, because we live by promises. So wherever you're at today, whatever you're going through today, I believe that God is inviting you to move from the valley to the watchtower. I don't if the band wants to come up. I believe that God is, uh, God is inviting you today to say, even though my circumstances may not change, even though I may stay in pain here, even though my heart is troubled, my heart is aching, and my mind is troubled, I'm going to worship you. Because my feet are like the deer's feet going up the mountain. Because we do, not, we do not stumble with God. Some of us have forgotten that we have been given revelation already. We have been given victory is what I meant to say. We have been given victory already. And some of you, your life doesn't look victorious right now. And, and circumstances don't look so great right now. And your finances don't look victorious. But that's why we live by faith. Because the word says that he's my provider. And the word says that he's my healer. And the word says that he's my father. That he will never leave me. That he will never forsake me. So today, I, I, I want to invite you, whatever it means for you to move to the watchtower, Whatever it means for you to climb that mountain, to climb that watchtower, I want to encourage you today to do it. I want to encourage you today. Your circum I'm not promising you that your circumstances are going to change. I can't do that. What I'll promise you, though, is the promise that he already gave you. If you trust him today, you get to spend eternity in heaven. Some of you don't have that promise in your life. 
Some of you aren't sure whether you'll spend eternity in heaven or not. And today, I want you to know that the promise is available to you too. That all you have to do to make sure that you spend eternity in heaven, all you have to do is call unto God today and say, I believe that you're my savior. I believe that you died for me on that cross. Habakkuk wasn't the only one that said, even though this doesn't look very good, let your will be done. Esther did it. A lot of people did it in the Old Testament, but Paul did it. All of the disciples did it, and they all ended up dying pretty badly. But more than anybody, Jesus did it. Jesus was in a garden crying, saying, I don't want to do this so much, but let your will be done. Let your will be done in my life. Whatever that means, Lord, whatever that looks like, however painful it may be, however awesome it may be, whatever it is, because with his eyes knew that by doing what God wanted him to do, we all got access to heaven. What are areas in your life where your perspective has to change? Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.